Broadcaster Mariella Frostrup is our How to Be 60 guest this week, and she's perhaps not quite the person you thought she was. You can make me laugh my head off in a slightly ironic way when for many years, you know, I was described as a crazy party girl. Oh, she dizzy out there, you know. I was never crazy or a party girl. I just worked a lot. And I'm wondering how to be 60. It's scaring the shit out of me. Hello, Adams and Mackenzie here reporting for another look at life beyond the big 6-0. It may be summer outside, but we are in the autumn of our lives. In fact, our birth certificates probably say late October. Probably in your case, Halloween. What's keeping on? Wait. <laughs> what? I thought, oh, quite like being called Mackenzie. You used to be called Mackenzie at work. See, and then I lost interest in the rest of it. So then I just carried on thinking about how I quite like being called McKenzie. You're just always five seconds behind. This amazes me about you. Well, Kay, think about what you're saying. If it's relevant and interesting, I'll stick with it. If it's not, then I'm sorry. You've okay. lost me. You did actually lose me okay. after the first line. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, it was a very, very depressing start, I have to say. It was probably a masterclass on how to lose an audience at an absolute stroke. Well, you certainly lost me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, I don't know. I tell you what, I'd rather be in the autumn of my life than, um, I, well, as you know, I just had a yes. conversation with my eldest at 20, uh, just coming out in a university exam that was obviously a stinker. And, oh, my God. It's so weird, you know. I mean, she is studying the same subject at the same university as I did. And it's almost like kind of living your life again. Yes. You're sort of outside it, you're observing it. Yeah. She's like highly stressed the way that I was highly stressed. And and because you went through that, are you able to console her? Or re- I mean, obviously can you, re- you can relate to what she's going through. Does that help her? I don't, because the difficulty is it's really tempting to sort of impose your own experience on her. You know, when people do that thing about what would you have told your 18-year-old self? Yeah. I'm just never interested in that because... Yeah. You know, being 18, being 20, being 21, whatever age, is you are in that. And to try and somehow, you know, from 40 years further down the line, go back and say, do this, do that, whatever. Personally, I I just don't think is relevant. And And so it's really difficult. You want to console her, you want to sort of say something useful, but equally, I don't want to try and stamp my experience on hers because it's unique. I think, Am I making sense? Yeah, I think probably what you will find is hopefully that she will feel a lot better tomorrow. I think it's the it's the rawness of coming out of an exam and feeling that oh, sick feeling and just distraught and actually time, even by tomorrow. I know. Actually, I had been feeling quite cheery because I just got a, an invitation to a 50th birthday party and I thought... Yeah. Down with the young ones. Down with the kids. A God. birthday party. Isn't it? Absolutely marvellous. Yeah, are you going? Um, well, what only... will you wear? Oh, I don't I never think about what I'm going to wear. We, do you not? No. Is that because you've got a whole wardrobe of lovely clothes? No, I never... In ever... your 32 double D bra. No, even if I'm going to a wedding, if I went to a wedding a couple of weeks ago, I do not think about what I'm going to wear until the morning of. Oh, my God. How can you say that and you don't plan it? No, I never plan it. I mean, I know there's going to be something in my wardrobe I can wear. What, I mean, why am I going to kind of right. do that? Anyway, oh, we're not sorry. supposed to be talking about this. No. I've, I've no idea. No. I've got um, a good week this week. Ian has gone off to Italy to play tennis for a week. 
and it, he went this be. morning and he was obviously trying to be romantic and he said, oh, I don't want to go. He said that? He did. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. oh don't worry, it's only a cake. <laughs> Get out the door. Shut the door from the other side. Oh, my God, just me and the dog in the bed. Eat oh, what I want, that. when I want. It's bloody bliss. It's quite nice, isn't it? I quite like that as well. Oh, Just been on my own. I mean, I wouldn't want it forever, but it is lovely. You tidy up and you know in the morning you get up, Lisa's still tidy. Yeah, perfect. Yes, but I still wouldn't have Bonnie in the bed. The dog does not come in my bed. The dog doesn't come in your bed? Really? Uh, yes. I can't. I'm surprised at you, actually. Oh, Just... my God. I love sleeping with my dog, but then that's sort of something about life, doesn't it? I really want to sleep with you, and I'm looking at a cockapoo <laughs> no. with a big come-to-bed eyes. Absolutely. Um, Enjoy your week. I know, I know, I know. I think our guest today is going to be disappointed in us. Uh, she is Mariella Frostrup. She is a major life force. She is an agent of change. She is not like us and whispering. Also, a bit highbrow. With a cup. Yeah, you don't like the highbrow. I don't like the highbrow. I get slightly <laughs> out of my depth. No, she'll be the type to work on a relationship. She won't let it go all mouldy like we have. Um, been very vocal about the menopause, getting access yes, to service yep. and treatments. Yep. I also read a recent article that Mariella wrote herself, actually. And the title was, I presume that she didn't write the headline, um, I'm an angry midlife woman. Ignore me at your peril. Oh, right. <laughs> and it's funny, I thought, you know, I have gone completely the other way. When I was young, I would fight every battle. I was like my daughter. Everything was heightened. And now I am just completely quesarasara. Have you spoke, did your production team agree with you? <laughs> Do you think I'm actually fooling myself? Actually, you know what? You're right. I am talking such shit. Oh. I, oh my God, you've just exposed myself to me. I have my idea of myself now as somebody who's 60, who's laid back. And, Hello. You know, and whatever happens, happens. And actually, I'm as much as a fucking fruitcake as I was when I was I think a fruitcake's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> God, oh my God, this has been quite, quite scary, Kay. Oh my yeah. goodness! I must God. tell you this story. I really hope that uh, Mariella is not offended by this, but her mother is Scottish, so um, I'm hoping that she can take it. If the screen goes blank, I'll know that I've gone <laughs> terribly wrong. So I was speaking to a neighbour of mine yesterday, mm -hmm. and this is on the theme of "I'm an angry midlife woman. Mm -hmm. Ignore me at your peril." So this is a neighbour of mine, and she is a classic wee Glasgow woman, mm -hmm. and I don't mean that. She's a wifey. A wifey, right? Mm -hmm. She's 75, she's mm -hmm. five foot nothing, mm -hmm. grey hair, glasses, a bit like yourself. Um, you know, just unremarkable to look at, right? Thanks. So I met her in the street and, oh, sorry, that was overly harsh, wasn't it? I'm going to come today, I have. So I met her in the street and she said, oh, God, that bus stop up the road has been kicked in again. Those blooming boys, they're always kicking in the bus stop. Mm. Um, and she said she was furious. She says, I went the other day, it's been kicked in three times, and I walked past it, and there was a bunch of boys, and they were actively oh. booting in oh my God, the bus stop. Seriously? Yeah. And there was other passengers waiting there, all looking the other way. Mighty. I know. And this young lad, 15 or whatever, was Jesus. knocking seven bells out of the um the bus. The stop. glass. And I was so I'm doing the usual, oh my goodness, oh heavens, my goodness. I just, and what did you do? And there she is, you know, five foot Aye. nothing. And she says, Well, I just went up. Here's the apologies for the language. She says, I just went up to the young boy and I said, What the fuck do you think you're doing, son? <laughs> Do you know what? That's brilliant. 
That's brilliant. I, I was I was aghast because if you'd done that in a really posh voice, the but the fact that she's broad Glaswegian and saying that she did say that she apologised for the language. Brilliant. Um, but I said to Bonnie, my youngest, I said, "You'll never believe. You'll never believe what Aye. this neighbour just did, said whatever." And she said to me, "Oh, old women do that all the time." She said, "Whenever you see something in the street, whenever there's any kind of you know trouble going down, old women are always the ones who get involved. Old men will never do anything. Oh, really? But old women will get involved." And I thought, God, why? Well, is that true? And why is that? And here's my theory: that as an older woman, uh-huh. you are desexualized. Oh, and so you are not worried about somebody judging you on your sexual attractiveness. You just become you, the personality. And if you are pissed off at somebody kicking in a bus stop or anything else, you'll just get ripped in. Yeah. What do you think? I, I think you're right on that level. But where does that stand with blokes not getting involved? Well, they, they just, because they don't have their masculinity anymore, because they are scared of, they're not going to get in a fight because they are aware that they're a wee old man. And mm-hmm. so they're not going to be able to square up to anyone. So they shrink away. Whereas women, they don't have to worry about looking good or anything anymore. So they're just more ballsy and they get stuck in. They are ballsy and they run the house. Yeah. They know their stuff. There you go. That and I hope that little to be shit intellectual. was frightened of, them, of her. No, no, no. I think. Do you not think? Nah, nah, no. Nah, I don't think it made any difference. Anyway, there anyway, you go. Yeah. Um, now, I'm not sure how Marielle is about ageing. I did read that she nearly wept uh, the first day she used her senior rail card. <laughs> Personally, I'm not going to sign up from mine. Um, but also that she went on a crazy old Californian road trip for her 60th. So, oh, I wonder if it was in a camper van. I sincerely doubt it and I sincerely <laughs> no. hope not. No. If it's not an open top uh, convertible, <laughs> then I'm, I'm just going to be so disappointed. Um, shall we have our email of the week and then we will talk to Marielle? <laughs> Now, I've decided that this is the email of the week for Mm. lots of reasons. All right. But mainly for the very last line, which I think is absolutely gold. So don't wait for it. Okay. So here we go. Who's it from? Uh, I'm going to tell you at the end that's the last line. Oh. So what, like, yes, okay, here we go. Then. Hi, Ken Karen. I turned 60 in November last year. My husband was 73 days later. We discussed the possibility of a joint party for our big birthdays, but decided against it. As the weeks went on, I realised that we would definitely regret it. And when the night came, we absolutely loved it. Oh, brilliant. We have both been married. We've been married for 15 months only the second time wow. around. Both loving life. I didn't think for a moment that I'd get married again and certainly didn't expect this to happen at the age of 59. I was a bit apprehensive about turning 60, but now it's passed. I don't know what I was worrying about. I have a lovely husband, three great kids, good friends and a decent job. I think one of the secrets of getting older is not to take life too seriously and just enjoy whatever positive things you have in your life. Mm -hmm. Spend time with people you really like instead of tolerating people that you can't be bothered with. Absolutely. And she says, remember, Kate, 60 is just a number. Mm -hmm. Brackets, admittedly, quite a big number. (laughs) Um, But here's the last line that I really like, who is from, and it's signed, 
Jackie Charlton, brackets, not the deed footballer. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> that woman must spend her life. Oh, God, I know. And people will say, what's your name? And she'll go, Jackie Charlton, not the deed footballer. That is going to happen every single time. That's brilliant. Um, brilliant. There you go. So maybe I might have a 65th, 61st birthday oh, God, you're party. You're really 64. Yeah. No. Would I be invited? Um, if you're inviting Jane Moore, go and invite me. I'd like to meet Jane. <laughs> Got a bit of a crush going on there. Yeah, girl crush on Jane. No, I, I'm definitely not going to have a party. But you raise I, my hopes. No, 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 no. Slap them down. No, 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 no. But instead of ignoring my 61st, as I did my 60th, mm. I might have a memorable experience that would involve Ian. Um, no, I don't think so. But you know, I don't. I want to be on top of a mountain, or I want to be. You know, doing something that I will really, really remember. Right. I might employ a sex expert. I did, I got a bit excited. <laughs> it, it does was Emma Thompson it game. Does trip off the dung naturally, that works. Maybe I won't. Anyway, um, if you could think of a memorable experience fitting for Lady Mature Years, <laughs> do contact us, podcast at htb60.com. That is not, um, I'm not advertising for male <laughs> sex escorts, I can tell you. However, um, <laughs> No, let's talk to Mariella after this. How are you, Mariella? Hello. Well, I'm very well, thank you. Very <laughs> well indeed. Not, I feel, in the autumn uh, of my life, but <laughs> perhaps enjoying the second spring, uh, yeah. which is the term we most loved uncovering, uh, Alice, uh, my co-writer and I, when we were writing Cracking Menopause, when we discovered that the Chinese... Uh, call this post-menopausal period, which we're clearly in, um, the second spring. And I thought, oh, yeah, I like that. That's hopeful. And and it does also, in a way, sum up that sense of possibility. It is. And, it's hopeful, but it's also delusional. <laughs> well, why delusional? <laughs> well, because, you know, we are mortal. And we have to confess or we have to acknowledge that we have less in front of us than we have behind us. And spring is at the beginning of our seasons. But we could all be spring chickens. Sorry. There's spring every year, <laughs> isn't there? So uh, beginning of our seasons, but it's only a year. So actually, in a way, you know, spring is 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 an impermanent thing. And so is, as you say, our mortality. And the idea of sort of going, oh, well, I'm slowly kind of crawling towards my grave now, that just doesn't really appeal to me as a, as a way of spending my, my last, you know, whatever it is, decades, years, months, you know. I mean, people say, don't they, why do, you, why do, why do people, why don't we talk about death more? And I think, well, why would we? You know, it's an inevitability. You can't do anything about it. Um, but does it really need dissected? No, that's a pretty good point, actually, isn't it? I mean, why do we say we need to talk about death more so that we can accept it? Mm. But there's nothing to accept, you know, really. It, it just is. It is. And if you want it when it arrives, then that's a sad state of affairs and probably means you're quite ill or just fed up. And if you don't want it, which is hopefully going to be the... the state we're all in, then what's the point of building up to it forever? Well, listen, I, I love the positive vibe and I absolutely want to go with you on that. So why did you nearly weep the first day you used your senior real card? Because every single decade that passes comes as an enormous shock to me. And I think to most people, you know, because the idea that you have is that you feel your age at any 
point in your lifeline. I mean, I last felt my age when I was about 38. And it's worse for some people. I mean, I know people who last felt their age at 25 or at 18. And so they spend the whole rest of their lives thinking, well, how can I not be 18 anymore? You know, whereas at least 38 is a reasonably respectable age to kind of settle at. But I think, I mean, do you not have a, an age that you, you, you feel? Yeah, I think... Well, it's, it's so difficult to articulate how you feel because, you know, is anyone else going to relate to it? But now you pose it. I suppose I would say um, 28 was kind of my, not not my peak, but I, I felt I kind of really hit my stride at 28. Up until that point, you know, just having spoken earlier about my daughter and I was quite a stress head at a younger age, I was still very much a work in progress. I felt I kind of hit my stride at 28 and I feel that I've been plateauing since then. So I've been 28 for nearly 30 years now. Yes. That's that's you know what I mean? what, yeah. 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 I know exactly what you mean. And that's sort of that's sort of what I'm saying is I if you you know if instantly, you know, and I'm not focusing and I'm not if you said to me what age I'm I'd sort of go 38. And I've no idea why that age particularly, but perhaps in the way that you've rather articulately put it, maybe I just maybe that was the sort of age when I yeah, plateaued as well. Though, I mean, that would be to negate the kind of decade after that of motherhood, which, mm-hmm. well, I mean, continuing decades of motherhood, but, you know, of yeah. having babies mm-hmm. and, and having little ones and, and so on, from which I think I learned a bit, um, hopefully. Um, well, yeah, we tried, <laughs> don't we? We tried. Yeah. So with 60, are you still on the, the plateau then? Yes, I think so. I mean, so you were saying about the card, the the travel card. It's just one of those milestones you never think you're going to reach, not because obviously you don't want to reach it, because of course you do uh, in terms of still being alive. But but it's just, you know, it felt, it seems, oh, it goes back to my point of being stuck at an age. It feels incredibly old. And also I feel a bit of a fraud, like romping around London now on free travel whilst going to my, you know, place of work and carrying on in every other way, like a, you know, normal, contributing, functional human being, but having this delicious perk of waving my card. And now I wave it with impunity. You know, I feel like Dame Edna Everidge with gladioli, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I think that it would be a total lie to pretend that I'm not in any way sad to be moving further away from my youth than, or, you know, to be consistently moving further away. It's not that actually, that's not true. It's not that I'm sad about not being youthful because I didn't really enjoy being youthful particularly, but, but, you know, nobody, I think, as I said, right at the beginning of the conversation, uh, wants to fast forward to the end. And, you know, you do have to accept the fact that you are getting older and there are things, you know, I have friends who are 40 and I've got friends who are 70 and I'd rather be the friends who are 40 mm. mostly for the fact that, you know, mm. they've got a longer time of living. I've got two kids who are teenagers, you know, I want to be around for as long as I can with them in my life. And I also want to be as fit as I can be to have them in my life because I don't want them to be looking after me. You know, I don't want to do that cycle of life. So for lots of reasons, I think it's quite important important whilst accepting and perhaps mourning slightly the fact that life is you know getting shorter <laughs> in one way um you know that it's in- inevitable and you might as well enjoy it mm-hmm. is there also a thing 
for for you who I mean your your public persona um has always been super cool super attractive super cutting edge you know um you're very much of the moment and I'm not saying that you're not you know I'm dancing around this but well, again, Richard Coles made a, a very nice uh, reference. He said he has become aware that he is no longer the centre, that he is mm. moving more to the edges, which we can do as we go older. Whereas Mariella Frostrup, I have always thought of you as being at the absolute core of what's buzzing. What's going on? What do they say about perception? It's nine tenths of the whatever. Um, Crap. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I've never failed any of those things. Thank you. Um, no, of course not. I mean, why would you walk around thinking that you were uber cool and at the centre of things? I mean, you'd have to be a real total pain in the ass to be walking around thinking <laughs> like that. I think what I've always done, which is what I continue to do now, is grasp whatever there is of life going on around me. I grasp it and kind of take advantage of it and enjoy it. And, you know, obviously I'm not going to be at the epicenter of anything, particularly at this point in life, apart from my own life, which is where I'm very happy to be at the epicenter of. Um, you know, I, I, I just, I don't know. I mean, I, I wonder, I, I suppose one of the things that would be really difficult I suspect would be if you were one of those incredibly beautiful people that had only ever been defined by your wafting beauty. Um, that would be quite hard if that was it. But, you know, all I've ever done, you know, since I left school at 16 and came to London is work really hard and be opportunistic. And I don't think that leaves much room for sitting around thinking about whether you're cool or mm -hmm. you're not cool or whether you're at the epicenter or at the arse end. You know, it just doesn't make any difference. The thing that makes a difference is keeping yourself mentally and physically active and interested. And, you know, one of the blessings for me about having my kids so late was that, um, you know, it gives you a really brilliant conduit to what's happening in the world now, whether it's music or film or strange slang words that mean nothing to you till your son explains them and, and all of those things. And, and for me, all of that is the real food of life that I'm interested in, in gorging on. And, you know, cool. I'm loads of people were very cool. And, you know, now they're my age too. And, you know, it's fine. We're just, you know, you just carry on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't I, think about it. I honestly don't think about that. I've never thought about that. I mean, if I, I, I just think that way, madness lies. You said you came to London when you were 16, you were opportunistic. So the young Mariella, what did you want? I wanted to find somewhere to live and be able to pay my bills. That's all. I had nothing when I came to London. I mean, like absolutely nothing. I came with carrier bags on the ferry um, with a very, very The ferry uh, from where? From Dunleary. I was brought up in Ireland. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But your yeah, mum's your mum was Scottish, yeah? Yes, my mum is Scottish, but sadly she's got dementia, so she's probably not aware that she's even Scottish anymore. Um but uh, yeah, and and I came, you know, I I was running away from difficult family stuff and I was running towards London because it seemed like I could escape lots of past stuff. And I didn't have anything. So I didn't like arrive in London thinking, mm, right now what I want to do is I want to work in the music business and then I'm going to become a TV presenter. And then I'm going to, you know, none of that was, I worked in a bar, in a pub 
on the Prince uh, called the Prince of Wales on um, Portland Road. And I worked in a restaurant on the King's Road called Blushes. And I had a part-time job, but it was very part-time, on the Rolling Stones mobile studio. Because when I was in Dublin, I'd worked for a friend who had a little recording studio. And he had introduced me when I said I was leaving for London to them. And they'd said, oh, well, we could maybe use her every now and again. And so every now and again, I'd go off and record some heavy metal Swedish yeah. rock festival. And... Uh, and then come back and do my waitressing. And all I wanted to do was, you know, I wanted to stay in London. I wanted to get away from everything I'd left behind. And I wanted one day to buy a flat because we hadn't owned a house in my entire childhood, apart from a two-year period. And so I, I wanted I wanted to be a grown-up because I hadn't really met many. Mm-hmm. God, I, I'm very guilty of assumptions. I, I kind of assumed you came from privilege. Uh, well, No. <laughs> No, my father was an alcoholic uh, who drank himself to death when I was 15. And my mother uh, was a painter who never sold a painting in her life and never got, had a job in her life because she felt that um, she was a painter. And so my my kind of, yeah, no, no. <laughs> what kind of Scottish mother was she? We've both got a Scottish mother, obviously. Mm-hmm. She, I think my mum was very beautiful when she was young and she, she got a scholarship to Edinburgh Art College at 16. I think she was like the first girl in her village of Garleston to go to higher education. And she left school early to take up the scholarship. And I think she was very gifted at that time. Obviously, I didn't know her then. Um, and she met my dad at um, Edinburgh uh, University. He was Norwegian and he was studying English. And then she got married to him, gave up art college, went back to Norway, had a miserable time. Uh, they both decided to move to Ireland. And she spent, I think, most of her life regretting the fact that she hadn't grabbed the opportunity she had at 16. Mm. And they split up. And I think she was she was feisty and she was extremely opinionated and very clever and had absolutely no self-confidence whatsoever. And was defined as so many of women of her generation were by the men she chose to live or go out with. And um, she made some pretty poor choices, my father being the best of them, which is, you know, to put it into context. So, um, yeah, she she was amazing in many ways, incredible resilience. And, you know, she was quite a loner. Um, but she she was also, she struggled. Mm. Is that part of what consciously or subconsciously made you determined as a young woman to take opportunities? Oh, totally consciously. I wasn't going to live like my parents. I wasn't going to live like, you know, 1970s parents kind of, you know, frittering everything away and, you know, ignoring kids and having nowhere to live. And, you know, once we ended up living in a... <sighs> I don't really know, like a sort of commune house that my father and his new girlfriend was living in with their then son. And me, my mum, my brother and sister, and in fact, a younger brother had arrived at that point, half brother, all living in one room in the sort of living room of that house. You know, <laughs> I was not wanting any of that. Um, so, yeah, all I wanted was to get a job and get a mortgage and get a flat. And it's probably why the likes of Patsy Kensett, who I went on to work with, said that she said I was just the most grown up person she'd ever met when I was 18. Well, yeah, because you clearly had to be self-sufficient. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's why, you know, you can make me laugh my head off in a slightly ironic way when for many years, you know, I was described as crazy party girl. Oh, she's dizzy out there, you know. I was never crazy or a party girl. I just worked a lot. And how does that experience filter through to the way you bring up your own kids then? Because obviously they are having a very different experience from the one that you had. I think... um, I'm really, um, well, first of all, um, I sent them actually to public schools for secondary school, which I was really conflicted about. Um, But I think I just wanted everything to be better for them than I'd had it. And, and, you know, that was one way I could do it. I'm still very conflicted about it. And to be honest, in this world, I'm not really sure I've given them much um, a much better advantage as a result of it. But, you know, my dream is for both of them to go to uni and to have a childhood, you know, to have a childhood and then to go to college and enjoy that and and have um, choice. You know, for me, I think choice is the most brilliant thing that you can offer your kids or, you know, to try and open up again opportunities for them but give them choices in life I don't feel like I had many choices it was just I had to keep going and um and so I'm probably quite I'm not well I probably am quite strict maybe (laughs) I think I probably am they'd probably say I was um and I want you know a lot for them Uh, but not like not not financial or you know I just want them to have happy lives my mother did not have a happy life and um, I think that I've been really lucky in that I've had a pretty good life, but it's been very hard work for a very long time. And I just want them to be a bit more feckless. Like my daughter is traveling around um, Southeast Asia at the moment. She's, she's been gone two months and she comes back at the end of this month. And I'm just, I'm vicariously living on the pictures and bits and pieces that she sends me and just so grateful and thankful that she can have that experience mm. because um you know you're only young for a bit mm-hmm. and uh, you know I think too many kids you know and particularly at this moment in, in in time I think too many kids don't have a proper childhood because you know they've just got too much stress and strain on them or their parents have and you know so for me it feels like an, an incredible luxury to be able to give my kids some of that stuff. And for them to have the confidence to go traveling on their own. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think that they're both very grounded, good human beings. You know, they're not idiots. And they've had quite a bit of freedom since they were quite young because I sort of believed in them making their own decisions. And it's very hard to lecture your kids when they know you've got off the ferry at 16 and and lived in London. All I really wanted to do was make life as nice for them as possible so that they'd stay at school till the end. You know, that felt like a that felt like an achievement in itself. Just being able to experience life mm. instead of rushing through it or worrying through it. I think it's really important. Was being an older mum a choice or just circumstances? Yeah, totally circumstances. I lost a couple of babies in my twenties. Not, you know, because I was careless and left them in places. <laughs> Not in Sainsbury's. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, but, you know, in the end, I think it was for the best because I was lucky to meet someone when I was 39 who who's the, you know, greatest dad possible. 
and, you know, was committed and wanted the same things as me. And I, it took me a very long time to meet someone, mostly my fault, I think, because I was looking in all the wrong places, you know. And when your father dies young, you, you tend to try and replicate them everywhere you look. So I might not have gone out with alcoholics that often, but, you know, it was always damaged people with, with some some difficulty or other. And they weren't really, you know, life partner, father material. Uh, and so it was really lucky that, um, first of all, that I met Jason at all. Secondly, that I was still able to have kids because that was sort of touch and go and, you know, who knew. And that would have been very devastating for me, I think, because I'd spent a long time thinking I didn't want children. Why would you bring them into this cruel world? You know, And then in my mid-30s, I think as, as, as the opportunity started receding and I started worrying about it, I am, um, I, 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 like many women, I think I, it suddenly became an obsession, and so I was really lucky that I was able to have them. And I think being an older mum, there's very little not to recommend it. You know, I'm sure if I'd been younger, I'd love to have had more. You know, I'd like to have more time with them. That would be one big reason for having had them younger, and maybe a bit more fun with them because I think I, I've always been sort of mature and working since yeah. I've had them. Um, but other than that, you know, you get all the socializing out of your system and and the adventuring out of your system. And, you know, there was very little that I, you know, had any regret about giving up for the for the sake of of, you know, raising them. Yeah, I mean, again, it it's it's just kind of is what it is, isn't it? I mean, I I never thought about kids till I was 36. Which I know sounds yeah. ludicrous, you know. No, I'd no, be saying not it at to all. People, but it just hit me that oh god, actually, I did. And up until that point, so many people said to me, "Why did you never have children?" Or, "Or Kay doesn't like children. Kay doesn't want children." I never used to say anything, but I just thought it's not in my head yet. And then suddenly, mm. funny it too. was. And, and so I asked you that question about a choice. I know it's a bit of a stupid question because you know it's life just comes at you and the right time either presents itself or doesn't if you're lucky enough to have them as you say yeah I mean I think I think absolutely and I do think that it's also one of the reasons why it's really imperative that as women we become a little bit more empowered in terms of knowledge about our you know our fertility life cycle and 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 those things because I I do think if I had actually learned more about the 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 route my body would be taking as a woman um i think i might have made some different choices at certain stages you know uh, there might have been less of that sort of oh it'll be fine and more actual focus on does this really matter if it really matters i need to be looking at it now and i probably can't be dawdling around with you know the handsome you know boy i met in the pub 3 days ago i should probably actually think about you know i just think we would make different choices and i mean you know menopause is the kind of ultimate example of that because you know most women if if you sort of vaguely think you don't want kids in your early 30s and then you suddenly realize you do and then you suddenly start panicking because you realize that actually you don't have that long left which again you know to be for us to be realizing that you know 4 years before an awful lot of medical people would say, you know, you're not going to have that option anymore. It's too late to be really starting to think about it, you know. And and then when you hit menopause, you know, again, that, that's a choice taken 
out of your hands. And and yet all of those stages in our lives, I mean, the only one that ever seems to be really focused on is, 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 is puberty because, yay, you can have babies now. And then, and then pregnancy because, yay, you're playing your part in what's perceived to be, you know, women's contribution to the world. And after that, it's just of no real interest to, to the world at all. And I just think that's completely wrong, really, on every level. Was it a big deal for you to start speaking out about the menopause? Because you were slightly ahead of the pack. I mean, now it's, uh, you know, it, it's very much a kind of hot topic. But even going back five or six years, I think you and Kirsty Wark actually were probably around about the same time when you started talking about it. And, you know, there wasn't such a celebration of this conversation. And to almost out yourself as a menopausal woman was a bit of a big decision. In fairness to Kirsty, she made her programme before me even, so she was a real pioneer um, of menopause on screen. Um, and then mine came after that. You know, I, I mean, to my detriment, I'm sure, in many ways, <laughs> career-wise or whatever, I've never really stopped and thought about consequences. You know, I, I tend to just react impulsively and then afterwards think, hmm, was that a great idea or not? Well, it's already done. And, you know, so much of what I've done because of what I, you know, the job I do has been in public, you know, so it's too late to pull back, you know, once you've started. And I think, you know, when I first sort of stumbled into whatever uh, it it was then, you know, I didn't realize it was menopause. When I spent those sort of last two years of my 40s, really in a bad way, you know, ang anxious, incredible anxiety, uh, insomnia, you know, feeling. And, you know, when you don't sleep, you really do feel like you're going mad. And I never felt anything like that. And, you know, of all the things I, I've, you know, suffered from, certainly um, depression, I'm really lucky. It, it, it's never been that. And I suddenly started feeling like, am I depressed? Is this what it is? Am I having mental health problems? What? And and so to discover then, two years later, when I finally found a great female, happened to be gynecologist, who sort of went, yeah, I don't don't care about blood tests. She said, just you told me your symptoms. You're clearly either perimenopausal or you're at menopause. Um, to find out that all of that had been a mystery to me, a hidden world, and and that whenever I asked anyone about it, most of the time they looked at me with abject horror, and we just felt like such an incredible injustice. You get to this point for many working women, probably at the peak of their abilities, and suddenly the world goes, oh no, shut the door, and maybe you could stick around if you pretend to be a bit younger, or you dress a bit younger, or you act a bit younger, or you do something to that face, you know, and and. And don't talk about symptoms because those symptoms are filthy, foul things that mark you out as, you know, being a woman. You know, it's just being an old it, woman mm. and being an old woman. And it's just madness. I mean, it's madness, you know, that 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 50 percent of the population, 52 percent actually should find themselves in that situation you know, at, at a point in our lives when I do believe we're in our second spring, I do, I feel so different now in some ways to how I did certainly. I mean, in my, I wouldn't go back to my twenties in a, in a mm. you know, no way, not, not for any money, all the tea in China. You know, I feel much more confident and independently minded and uh, without 
fear of expressing my opinions and sure of who I am. You know, I don't worry. You were saying earlier about worrying about what you were going to wear. Well, and when you yeah, start I, worrying I don't. about yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. And I used to, you know, I'd start thinking if I was going to the Cannes Film Festival to interview people, I'd be worried sick about would I have the right thing and would I have the right thing for the, and who could I borrow it off because I certainly couldn't afford to buy what I need, you know, and all of those things. And and now, I mean, I'm exactly like, like you. I, I, I wake up and I think, oh, that shirt's nice. I quite like that blue. And, and, you know, stick it on. And so for all of those reasons, for us to feel so disempowered mm. at this period in life, I think is is criminal. It's funny that, though, isn't it? But that whole thing about, oh, this is what I've got on. And I mean, I, I don't. I, I don't care. Sometimes I'll have makeup on. Sometimes I'll be made up for television. Sometimes I look like I've been dragged through a hedge backwards. Um, I could see that as empowerment because I don't care and I'm confident enough to to look however I want. The world could see that as letting yourself go. Mm-hmm. world can see whatever it likes. <laughs> I just think you push back. You know, the world is rarely right in the way it determines and casts us. And, you know, I haven't, you know, I I don't, and I don't agree that you either, just sort of sit back and let things glide over you. I no, think that I don't. We, I was we, lying. <laughs> no, no, we feel like we have to assume that that part, that role in life. But I absolutely disagree. I don't think we do at all. I think that we have to keep pushing to change things because otherwise they won't change. So what about my theory then? My, my neighbour who tackled the young uh, Ned who was kicking in the, the bus shelter, my feeling is that women go through that period where they are perceived as sexual beings and in some ways that is a freedom because they don't have to worry about whether or not people think they're fanciable or not. They just say what they think. I totally agree, but I also think that we don't have to pick one thing or the other. I think that we should be allowed to just be ourselves and and be the women we've grown into being, you know. So, no, I certainly, I mean, I'd be a, a, a hijinks to nothing if I walked around defining myself by my sexual attractiveness, um, you know, at this point in life. But I don't think of myself as disengaged from sex and life like that either you know it's not like I'm putting that behind me and moving forward into a sort of de-sexed place like perhaps the world might like me to Uh, you know I feel like I want to I want my life to be as full in every way as I can possibly make it I'm smiling because you did say earlier that sometimes you blurt things out maybe without thinking you did tell the world that you said scheduled sex yeah I like that and you did get quite a strong reaction to it do you regret that one it's funny because I did say that and I wrote it in my book and it took about two years for anyone to notice that I said it funny so so by then I was perfectly you know sanguine about talking about it and the only person I was worried about was my poor husband who does a very serious job and doesn't really need to have his sex life splashed all over the the cover of the Daily Mail or indeed the 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 Sunday Times but you know I think that it's important to address the things that stalk us and uh you know one of the things that 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 I hear way too often is either people in middle age and upwards talking about the fact that their relationships with their partners are no longer sexual or that they don't feel sexy or that they don't want to have sex and 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 that the, those are just um things to be accepted and i think absolutely if that's what you want 
then you have every right to lead whatever sort of life you want. But I think that more often the case is that people are made to feel that they're no longer attractive, that life and the world and, and society is telling them that they don't have anything to offer on a on a on a on the physical front. And frankly, for a lot of women, sex becomes quite difficult in, in middle age until doctors actually turn around and prescribe you the one form of HRT that every single woman should be on, which is vaginal estrogen. You know, and that's not for sex. It's for everything. I mean, think of all the vital organs we have below the waist, you know. The reason women end up being incontinent is because they don't have enough lubrication down there. You know, vaginal estrogen is for everything. It's not, you know, something to be kind of smirked and sniggered at. And I, I just think that to write women off is just another form of, of sexism, terrible sexism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I went to a dinner about a year ago and sat next to a man 10 years younger than me and suddenly thought halfway through the dinner, he's flirting with me. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was shocked. Um, Why couldn't thought, you believe it? I know that's funny. Well, because that's what the, because I think that, you know, what you confront in day-to-day life, what society tells you, what newspaper headlines tell you, what advertising tells you, what the whole world tells you is that at over the age of 50, you should just slink off somewhere into a corner and do the respectful thing and just keep yourself out of view and don't be thrusting yourself on the world. And so I think, you know, there are many women who would feel quite surprised to suddenly realize someone was flirting mm. with them because you've been told that that's never going to happen again, you know. And and I just feel that we shouldn't allow our narratives to be written for us, that we should write them ourselves. And I wish every woman, you know, I think it's also really important if you are, you know, stupidly outspoken like me and you're not easily cowed, that you carry on doing it because society is only as good as we are in terms of supporting people who are weaker than us. You know, that's that's our duty. Each and every one of us is to lift somebody else up. And that that I think is is the point in the end. You know, that's what you're going to lie on your deathbed and feel proud of. God, you put a spring in my step. I don't know about second <laughs> spring, but that was good. I enjoyed that. Thank you. Listen, we just quickly before we finish, we do this big six o bingo. I'm handing you over to Karen. She'll just ask you to come up with two numbers. Well, I think he's already said that. Can you come up with two numbers between one and fifty? <laughs> between one and sixty. Okay, well, I'll go for three first. Oh, that's quite mm, right. Right, get out of the wiki. Are you in love? Oh, I think we know that. Are you in love? Yes, with life, with my husband, with my family. Yeah, but mostly with life. I think we can see that. It's lovely to see, actually. It's really <laughs> nice. I want to ask you quickly: How did it feel when you realised that this person was flirting with you? How did that make you feel? Great. I mean, really, really great. But, you you know, not great like I want to have an affair, just great like, gosh, that's interesting. I didn't really expect that, you know, and I probably, you know, strutted around for about a month afterwards (laughs) thinking, (laughs) attractive, moi. Um, And then it wore off, you know, and now I feel perfectly normal again. And I feel like I'm due another flirt, quite honestly, (laughs) but... Frankly, it's been thin on the ground. Well, I think you could do the flirting. Was he attractive or was he just 10 years younger? Very attractive. Oh, well, that's fine. That's fine. Because mm. if he wasn't very attractive and just 10 years younger, that's not 
no, no, no. I'm not looking for scraps. No, I'm exactly. Not, like, this is not gratitude. <laughs> gratitude. I'm, I'm, I, it was like, zing, ooh. Interesting you said 10 years younger. I don't even think they would need to be 10 years younger. They would certainly need to be attractive. No, it could have been the same age as me. Yeah. I don't care about the yeah. age. It was just yeah. that, that it was such a double whammy of shock for me. You know, first, it didn't occur to me that this man who I knew to be younger than me, who was sitting next to me at this dinner, would, you know, and it, it just took ages, like ages for it to filter through that, that it was kind Did of Did you tell your husband? Yeah. Yeah, I would have as well. And he, it, said, he said, you're only imagining it. <laughs> oh, that's if quite that's nice. What, what you want? Jealousy there, I think. <laughs> Did you flirt back? Last thing. Did you flirt back? You quite flirt. Oh god, yeah. Nice. You know, it's like finding. It's like it's it's like getting back on. A, I don't know. I don't ride horses. I presume it's like getting back in the saddle. You know, it's quite. You know, you remember that you have a memory muscle. Yeah. And and you go back to it, and it's yeah, like riding a bicycle, or 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 you know, you sort of go, oh yeah, that's how that works. Yeah. Then then you do this. And then you, you know, I'm not a good flirt. I've never been a good flirt, regardless of age. I mean, are you a good flirt? I don't know. How do you know if you're a good flirt? I mean, the proof, I suppose, is in the pudding, and the pudding has not been that. You know, <laughs> it's not been that impressive for quite quite, quite a few of my decades. So We're stretching the not. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'm an appallingly bad flirt. Maybe that's the, the secret. I can imagine you're not a good flirt. No, I'm not. And I've because good... you don't think don't... you're attractive. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And such right. a shame key. Yeah. yeah. But I've got a friend who says, who declares herself to be a great flirt. And I always think to myself, how do you have that confidence that you're a great, great flirt? But then maybe she gets the results. If, yeah, but it, I don't know. I, I'm always a little bit suspicious when people sort of announce things like that about themselves. I always wonder if they really are. Yeah, no, in whose eyes? You know, I don't know. I think yeah. obviously women are way too self-effacing, but I do think that it's also, like, I would never say, what does it mean to be a great flirt, actually? What does it mean? Yeah, and you can be a great flirt and you flirt with the wrong person and it falls flat and you just think, go getting out of here now. But or it could be the Slippery also, I don't think, uh, to be honest, I think that um, that good flirting is about mutual attraction, attraction. and chemistry. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't, you know, that's not every, you know, that happens rarely. And oh, it's yeah. really exciting when you feel it. And it doesn't mean that you have to have a relationship with that person. It just means that, you know, as we know, I think, uh, certainly at our age, there are, um, there's more than one partner out there for, for all of us. And you know, yes, if you split up with someone, you probably find someone else eventually, you know, but why bother splitting up if if that's okay? You know, so I, I just think that flirting is about those moments of chemistry that come along, you know, every now and again. Yes, I, I think so. I mean, to flirt with somebody and you're not getting it back is, oh my oh, God. Oh, no, just, that's depressing. Oh, well, it wouldn't go anywhere. It's awful. You just leave the room. awful. Right, right. Mariela. Yeah, another, another um, number between one and 60. Well, eight. I'm going for the three and the eight. Ooh, people right. don't go for low numbers. Yeah. This is interesting. Yeah. Hardest year of your life. Oh, that's really difficult. I don't know, because, you know, luckily for me, they've been spaced out. You know, there was a terrible year when I was trying to get pregnant and just didn't seem that it was going to happen. And that was awful for all of those reasons of mourning. And I had a miscarriage and, you know, that was pretty profoundly dreadful. Um but, you know, work was going well that year and I had, you know, Jason in my life. So, you know, the, there were good things. And, you know, then there have been 
you know, a couple of years that have been really difficult, you know, either for super stressful reasons at work or because I wasn't getting enough work or whatever. But then I've had my kids and, my, you know, so it swings and roundabouts. I, I I don't think I've had a worst. I don't, I haven't had an anus horribilis. Um, mm-hmm. I've had, you know, elements uh, over many years and that's probably like just life, isn't it? What about before you left Ireland? I don't really remember right. very much at all. It's all like a big blank. You blocked that and, out. Yeah. And I, I honestly, like I tried to remember, I'm not afraid of remembering uh, at this point in life, certainly not, um, but it's just blank. So life started at 16. Yeah. And even then, I mean, I have a terrible memory. I mean, obviously worse now, but I've I've got a bad memory anyway. You know, I, people will come up and, and, and talk to me. I remember faces and once they contextualize themselves, then I remember, you know, where I might've met them or, or things like that. But, you know, I've got really good friends who will say, do you remember that year we went to Tuscany and we, and no, 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 not really. So I, I think I've just got a very bad memory mm. uh, as well as, as the fact that I'm now combating, you know, terminal brain fog. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes it's a safety mechanism. You just, you kind of slough off the bits that you kind of either don't need or don't want anymore and just keep the bits that are, are worth taking with you. I don't know. See, yeah, I think, and I think that's a really nice way of, of thinking about it because honestly, there's a lot of flotsam and jetsam that you collect along the way that you don't necessarily want to be <laughs> dragging along behind you, like, you know, Santa's sleigh, the opposite of Santa's sleigh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I think, yes, though I always used to sort of say, oh, you know, your brain, you know, you need to let stuff go so you can put new stuff in. But, you know, what do they say to us that we use only about 8% of it or something anyway? So, so I think there's, uh, unfortunately, there's plenty more space in there <laughs> if I actually thought to use it. But we want to fill it with good stuff, not bad stuff. That's the thing. Yes, importantly. That is the thing. Exactly. Yeah. Listen, much so. it has been such a pleasure to speak to you. It really has. I am accepting second spring. I'm going with you. You have absolutely won me over. <laughs> I'm so glad I've managed to talk you into it. <laughs> you have indeed. It's no longer autumn in my life. It's fabulous. <laughs> oh, it's Results, lovely to meet you. you, see. <laughs> you too. Really you. nice to spend some time with the two of you. Thank you Thank so much you. for having me. Thank you. Really Thank you. Bye. Bye bye. Thanks. Bye bye. Bye. Well, next week, a subject very close to Mariella's heart, we have a menopause special with Dr. Louise Newson answering your questions. Many thanks to everyone who got in touch. Uh, The podcast address again is podcast at htb60.com. And your now weekly reminder that Karen and I are taking the podcast on the road to the Edinburgh Fringe. We'll be there on the 9th, 10th and 11th of August. If you'd like to come and see us, check out the Edinburgh Fringe website or the Gilded Balloon website for ticket details.